0: hi seeker welcome back welcome to episode 13 of the authentic life podcast today i want to talk to you about your truth versus a belief versus an opinion and this topic was inspired by a reel i saw by gabby bernstein where she is talking about showing up with your truth here it is. All it takes is the light in one person to wake up the light in someone else, and so it's not just about me standing here being your teacher. It's about you all waking up, so you can go teach everybody in your life. So you can teach your Twitter followers, so you can teach your Facebook friends, so you can teach your lovers, your partners, your parents, whoever is in your life. So you can be a messenger for a more empowering conversation. And sometimes all you have to do is just show up with your truth to be teaching. All you have to do is just show up. With your truth, and you are the most divine teacher in that room. So I noticed in that clip, it kind of dawned on me that there is a very, very fundamental and like foundational um, uh, nuance, we'll call it discernment, that's missing in the idea of what a truth is is what it means to show up with your truth. And it's creating a lot of misunderstanding. Unfortunately, speaking your truth and this concept of truth with a capital T has become somewhat of a buzzword, right? As what happens in pop culture. And y'all know how I feel about buzzwords. If you've been on following me on Instagram and have been on my email list buzzwords are such breeding grounds for a lot of misunderstanding a lot of confusion because they don't they because they lack nuance they lack discernment and they are so ambiguous because they can be interpreted in so many different ways by so many different people at so many different times and so here is another clip by a spiritual teacher with a large platform, this is Feel Good, where he is using truth in a ambiguous and misinterpretable way. I'd like to ask you a very honest question this morning because I think this can be life-changing for all of us. Why does someone else sharing their truth trigger you so much, why? Why does someone expressing their feelings and their thoughts and their perspectives trigger you so much? I'll tell you why. Because you haven't embodied your own truth yet. That is the truth. Because to be able to freely share how you're feeling is to be free. And freedom is a scary thing. So could it be that them being free enough to share their truth, could it be? That they're showing you that you haven't stepped into your freedom yet because you're too afraid see the very judgment that you pass on to others is what's keeping you separate from the wholeness of who you are so this is actually pretty fucking toxic okay not only is it harmful because i mean not only is it confusing because it it just does it lacks a framework it lacks discernment i mean we'll get into that But I just want to point out that this is what these spiritual teachers do, which is like, it's very gaslighty, right? Where they do the very thing that they are supposedly against. So actually, this clip is full of so much judgment, and it's so separatist, and it's so invalidating to the human experience that. It just, I mean, like he goes on for like 90 seconds, right? And I could, I, I literally just want to like go point by point and just debunk this whole nonsense. I will spare you from doing that. Instead, I will provide a framework for how we can critically examine, critically examine ideas around truth, ideas around speaking your truth, showing up with your truth, um, you know, triggering people <laughs> with your truth, or people getting triggered by your truth, because there's like so many layers there, and there's such a um, there's such a depth of perspective in also understanding the the mechanism of the mind in in what happens when our truth you know bleeds into our our beliefs and that becomes our opinions I mean there's a whole mechanism there right and if if, and if we don't understand that then first of all we're going to be very confused and more importantly we're going to be very vulnerable to all kinds of indoctrination and thought reform that you know bypass our critical thinking and put us in this kind of self-hypnosis where we are reconstructing our identity and our entire reality around an illusion, because we were not able to discern between reality and illusion, which is literally what being awake is. So, without further ado, let's dive right into today's episode on how to discern between your truth versus beliefs versus opinions, and why that's so important in. Reality testing, um, when we are doing cult deprogramming or any kind of psychological deprogramming work, and not just deprogramming, but also just critical thinking in general, also just the ability to um, have a framework for um, examining, you know, claims and and any statements or 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 beliefs, theories, whatever whatever it is. So I'm so glad that you're here. This is gonna be a great episode. This is gonna be a foundational episode because it's gonna give you so much more clarity and insight into your mind in a more in a substantial way. So I think what is happening here, which is where the misunderstanding starts, is how the um, new age industry, has appropriated, or you can say co-opted, these this concept of Sat Chit Anand, Sat Chit Anand, which means truth, consciousness, bliss, and it comes from Hinduism. And the definition, or the what the concept describes, is our subjective experience of ultimate or supreme reality, which is the nature of reality, which they call Brahman. So Satchit Anand, truth consciousness bliss is our subjective experience of a ultimate or supreme reality. And this is this gets tricky. Why? Because our <laughs> because our subjective reality is not separate from ultimate reality, right? Because in non-duality, you know, each thing is contained in everything and everything is contained in each thing. So our subjective reality is contained in the ultimate reality and the ultimate reality is contained in our subjective reality, So to put it in another way, our truth is contained in the truth with a capital T and the truth contains our truth with a lowercase t. And where we get tripped up is when we mistake our truth with the truth, our capital T truth with the uppercase T truth. But even though each thing is contained in the other, one does not replace the other, right? Meaning we, we can't use these interchangeably. We have to discern what is our truth from the truth. Because again, that's the only way we will know truth from illusion if we're on this path of awakening. So because there's no foundational understanding of Sat Chit Anand, it's like so watered down. It's been extracted, right? It's become like truth, the truth, which, is, which it contains Sat Chit Anand. you know, it's just become this like buzzword. And so much misconceptions have grown out of it. And one of those misconceptions is... Um, truth versus belief versus opinion because we don't know wh- because we're not discernment dis- discerning we don't know when our truth ends and when our belief begins and when our belief ends and when our opinions begin and although they sort of melt and merge within each other discernment is so important because otherwise you're going to show up and you're going to be like this is my truth and you actually mean this is my opinion but you're going to think that it's the ultimate truth and you're going to align yourself with some doctrine or dogma and then when people like call you out on it because it's like fucking like harmful and like authoritarian you're going to be like oh you are just triggered by my truth because you haven't you're not free to express yours or whatever it's like uh no i'm actually triggered i can't even say i'm triggered i'm just like bothered by the fact that you're framing your truth as the truth and then you're using that to um uh indoctrinate people into a a belief system or an ideology that you have decided is the ultimate truth and so language is also really important here, but like if you understood the concept, you would you, you would know how to use the language, right? So these, these two spiritual teachers who I played with massive followings, like either they don't understand the concept themselves or they just don't care. Doesn't matter. So what is truth? Okay, so how does Satchit Anan get misinterpreted? Well, if you if you look at the, the definition or the um, concept, what, what it's alluding to, is, is, is two parts, right? There are two parts. There's the subjective reality, which is our truth, and the ultimate reality, which is the truth, both of which are distinct and contained within each other. It's like a drop in the ocean, Right? So subjective reality is our truth, which is just one drop, and the ultimate reality is the whole ocean. And what's happening is that subjective part is getting missed, but it's the most important part. Because actually, actually, the subjectivity of our truth is what makes it so valid that's what adds that validity that's what adds that that's what that's why our truth is so like sacred and like indestructible like you can't fuck with anyone's truth right and so then it becomes easy to be like oh this is my truth and you, you're like you're allowed to have your truth i'm allowed to have my truth but this is actually devaluing using it this way in this like misconceived way is actually devaluing our truth because if it if our truth was not subjective, it would not be unique, right? We are if you believe that we are unique expressions of one consciousness, which is the non dual framework, then what's the uniqueness? The uniqueness about it is that it's our truth, that it's a part of us that is so unknowable to, excuse me, to anyone else, right? This is an unknowable arena. So when somebody says, this is my truth, there's something happening inside their body and their field that you can never understand because you're not in their body right so when we make our truth to be the truth that it's like we're just being we're just blending into the entire ocean we lose that individuality and that uniqueness so the subjectivity is what makes it valid and unique which brings up another interesting aspect of that and it's that as we are you know one un- a unique expression right one uh, way that that consciousness and god and source expresses itself um where was i going with this oh yes that's exactly what makes it inconsistent that's the word so our truth is valid because it's subjective but because it's subjective it is inconsistent because consciousness itself is inconsistent right there's um so we'll we'll talk more about this because there's a there is a, a, a point at which it's unchanging, right? And, and that's the access point to the supreme reality. So, I mean, this is like getting so cerebral, but we really miss the plot when we finalize our truth you know, when we say, this is my truth, and that's it, we're actually divorcing ourselves from the ultimate truth. Because it is through our subjective truth, you see the truth, our truth, when we say my truth, and again, this is from the non-dualism framework. When you say my truth, it's a, it's a, it's a, melting and merging that happens with with all of life and life is inconsistent right it's like the weather right it's like it's like the weather saying I'm gonna be sunny and that's my truth like that doesn't make any sense because it's always changing and so when we say I'm I'm this is my truth and that's it it's like we're cutting ourselves off from life energy from from source because the truth is only a vehicle like there's this we, people make such a big deal about their truth it's like become this like fetishized thing like it's actually the truth is just a tool it's just a vehicle it is an access point to supreme reality, to that part of ourselves that is unchanging. And we can use the breath as an example to illustrate this. So the breath, right, when we sit down to meditate and we're watching the breath, why are we doing that exercise? Are we doing it for the sake of watching the breath? Like we're just watching the breath to watch the breath. No right. There is an there is an intention there, that or you know whatever. Even when we're move like movement, right? Like in a meditative way, any any form of meditation that we accept as a meditative process, as a spiritual process, it's the intention is to use that. Going back to the breath, is to use the breath as a vehicle, as a transportation to ultimate reality. And we watch the breath. And what happens with the breath? The breath is constantly changing, right? There's no point at which the one moment is the same as the other. And there's, I mean, there's a contraction there as well as an expansion there and then the expansion happens within the contraction, right? Like so our chest, our chest expands. But while our chest expands, our the bridge of our nose, our nasal cavities or whatever, they're like contracting, right? So there's a there's a there's a expansion and contraction that happens within each other. So also this idea that like, oh, if you're contracted, that means you're like in low energy. Actually, that's not true because there's always, if there's a contraction, there's also an expansion happening somewhere. And the breath just illustrates that so beautifully, right? And so when we use the breath as a vehicle to the access point of supreme reality, to that which is unchanging, what's happening is we're getting very close to the breath So that the breath, we're dissolving the breath, the boundaries around the breath inside and outside and within and without dissolve and we melt and merge with the energetic field of life itself, right? But we have to go through that change and we have to watch it. We have to learn. The practice is in learning how to watch it and and how to to witness it as a, a a constant transforming and contracting and expanding and under behind that not underneath it but behind that in the backdrop of all of that change and turmoil not that the breath is turmoil but you know we're just using the breath as an illustration so it's it's a it's, it can be anything, any object, right? Whether those are thoughts or sensations or moods or feelings, all of this is just kind of, when you watch it, you notice how much it changes. And beyond that, there's silence. There's emptiness. There is nothingness. And that's what's important here. Not your truth. Your, sorry, your truth is not that important. I, I mean, it's valid, right? It's subjective. It's... It's meaningful but in terms of it being this like big deal you know people just make such a big deal out of their truth it's like making a big deal out of the breath right it's like saying no my breath is going to be slow it's like going into meditation practice and being like super dogmatic about it like I'm gonna meditate and my breath is gonna be slow and steady or I'm gonna meditate and my breath is gonna be deep in my belly. It's like chill out, just meditate and just see what happens and just go with it and don't make these preconceived ideas. Don't, Don't box yourself in to what your breath is supposed to be. Just be, just experience, right? And that's what people do when they box themselves in with the truth. So if you find yourself finalizing the truth now you're no longer in truth territory now you're you're going into beliefs and opinions and we'll talk about that next so let's talk about how a truth becomes a belief and that like the mechanism of that and then how belief becomes an opinion so, of course, I'm kind of, it's like, it's, you know, just for teaching purposes, it sounds like I'm being, like, very categorical. Of course, there's, like, a lot of fluidity fluidity there, and hopefully, like, once you uh, we get through conceptualizing it, um, you'll see, you know, there is a lot of fluidity there. So, it's not just, like, you know, dogmatically, like, this is a belief, and this is an opinion, these are the definitions. It's not like that, right? We're just conceptualizing. So, A truth becomes a belief when it is reinforced over time. And a belief becomes an opinion when it is reinforced over time. So how does this work? In order to understand how this works, we need to discern between first order and second order reality and If you were to see this in writing, this sentence would be, in all caps, another big misconception is that, is thinking that there's only one reality in which our truth can occur, or there's a unidimensional experience of reality. Because even though these spiritual teachers talk about like multidimensional beings, I don't, it's like there's something missing there. And I would like to um, point to Harish, uh, who is Christopher Wallace. He's He's known as Harish. He has a really great, he's a Tantra teacher and has a really great YouTube video on, um, discerning between first order and second order reality and it's a really beautiful discourse that I highly recommend and I'll link it in the show notes but just to put it um, briefly so first order reality is how you experience reality before you have any thoughts about it okay like the breath so you don't think about how you're going to experience the breath, right? In one moment to the next. You just experience it. You're just, you're just there for the experience. It's the same with your moods, with your feelings, with your sensations, right? These are not things that you choose to experience. They just happen. And when I say feelings, um, I'm really talking about emotions. Oh, uh, sorry. Sorry. I'm talking about uh, like affect, like whether you feel positive affect, like whether you feel positive, negative or neutral, like in your body, in your nervous system. I'm not talking about emotions because that which gives, because that which becomes your thoughts and emotions um, are already venturing into like second order reality. So... In first order reality, you can't control it, right? You can only experience your being directly or watch it and watch how it changes, watch how it ebbs and flows. This is your truth in the first order reality. So going back to the subjectivity of it, and this is, I want to just point out the paradox of truth, right? That gets missed because the truth is always a paradox. There's always a paradox there. And the the paradox of truth is that because the first order reality, right, the direct experience of reality is so subjective, no one can possibly tell you how you are experiencing your, your reality, your first order reality, right? A lot of times, most often, we don't even know how we're experiencing our reality because we're not present. We have to be very, very present. To witness our direct experience of reality. And so because it is so deeply personal and because it's so subjective, our truth, right? This is our truth, is what makes it valid, but it also is what makes it not true, not the truth. Remember that our truth is just an access point for supreme reality. So the paradox of truth is that the very thing that makes our truth so valid is its subjectivity. And it's the subjectivity of our truth that makes it an illusion. So do you see why? Do you see why when someone says, that's my truth? They are so caught up and, and they say it in like a final way, right? They're not they're not saying it in like a in a meditative process, right? The way that we do in meditation, the way that we do in self-inquiry, but they're they're making they're, they're really making a statement, they're really taking a stand for something and they're calling it their truth. Do you see why now that they are so caught up in an illusion? And this person who is showing up with their truth and expecting you to just adopt it as the truth just does not know how to discern between reality and illusion. So I I would not take this person's advice. So now let's talk about second order reality because that's also part of your truth, but it's a little bit less subtle. Um meaning it can be inferred um, a little bit better um, by others, right? We can make inferences about how someone is maybe interpreting their reality based on what they say, because it's not so much a direct experience, it's an interpretation, it's a conceptualization, it's a judgment, and they still have to tell us, right, what they're, how they're interpreting things, but we can still makes some inferences based on, you know, what we know about them, based on some of the examples that they're using, or logic, or all I'm saying is that uh, the second order reality is a little bit less subtle. And the second r- order reality, as I said, is an interpretation of the first order reality. And Christopher Wallace does a really nice job of describing second order reality as a representation of our experience. It's like a collection. He describes it as a collection of stories and narratives that tell us something key about ourselves and the unknowable and the unknown. So, again, that unknowable is contained within us. So it's through that um, knowable within us, within our truth, that we contact the unknown, right? Again, it's a vehicle. And the way that you experience your first order reality is going to impact your second order reality, which is where your beliefs manifest. Because your beliefs are based on your subjective interpretation of first order reality so what we call my truth is really an interpretation of our subjective experience of reality it's it's either our our direct experience of reality which we can communicate which is very difficult cuz you're you know how can you communicate about the breath as you're experiencing it? You can. And this is what we practice in non-dualism self inquiry. But that's that's really not what's going on most of the time when we're having conversations about the truth, my truth. When when we're saying my truth, what we're really talking about is the way that we are interpreting our subjective experience of reality. And the reason why this is valid is because it really says something about what matters most to us, what's important to us, right? It it, it, set, it alludes to something about our core values. The way that we interpret our subjective experience of reality says something about what we deeply, deeply care about and long for in like the depths of our soul. And for the most of us this is connection it's love it's belonging we long to feel connected to ourselves to each other to nature to god and we long to belong (laughs) and our beliefs meaning our subjective interpretations of reality are expressions of that which are also subjective But they're a little bit more dense than the truth. If we think about it like energetically, right? Your truth is very, very subtle. It's changing. Beliefs are a little bit more dense. But they still hold value simply because they matter to you. And, you know, I don't really see beliefs. I don't frame beliefs as right or wrong. I look at them more on the scale of like dogma versus flexibility, So you can believe whatever you want, right? But if you are dogmatic about it, that means that you are married to your beliefs, which means that you're likely looking at the world through a myopic lens and you're more likely to impose your beliefs on others. You're more likely to have to be misled um, by your beliefs. And it goes without saying that imposing your beliefs on others is inappropriate because everyone is entitled to their own beliefs. But what people like uh, Phil Good and Gabby Bernstein do is they actually do impose their beliefs on others because they they don't, like they're, they're, they take their truth, they align their truth with their beliefs in like a very finalized sort of way. And they impose that onto others, which is like that's what's like very culty about it. Um, and at the same time, they talk about how everyone, like every truth can coexist. It's like actually that. I mean, there's there's a contradiction there, right? You, you can see the cognitive dissonance that happens when uh, someone is telling you, "I'm entitled to my truth." But at the same time, they are imposing their beliefs on you dishonestly, you know, you, covering them up as, as a truth. Anyway, it's like so like, it's just like mental fuckery. So just to recap, the way you experience your truth over and over again becomes part of your uh second-order reality, which produces beliefs. So I should say it more like this. The way that you experience your first-order reality over and over again becomes part of your second-order reality, which produces beliefs that say something about what matters to you. So this second-order reality is a mental activity, right? It, it's, it's from the mind. So it's also very fleeting and temporary, which is why we can, we can value our beliefs, but we shouldn't harden, harden them into dogma, because then we start to shape-shift our entire reality around an illusion, And illusion in this in this case, I don't mean as it doesn't real or it doesn't, it's not real. Illusion in the sense that it is temporary. And so you know, shape shifting our reality, constructing an entire reality, entire an entire identity around an illusion. I mean, around something that is gonna might change or is likely to change or is most definitely going to change cuz all things that come from the mind change and they're temporary you can see how that is problematic and how it creates a lot of confusion and you can also see how cults indoctrinate you through your beliefs right because then they catch you at a moment when you've mistaken your truth for a belief and it's hardened to dogma and then that just, once you're in a dogmatic play, state of mind, I mean, the ego is just like, l- just looking for ways to, things to latch on to. And we latch on to whatever we're being indoctrinated into. <laughs> so... I didn't explain, I don't know if I explained that the best way, but I, I hope that you just um, can take away that your beliefs are, although they are temporary, they're connected to our identity, which also creates some, some potential areas for, um, for, you know, confusion. Anyway, Let's move on to what is an opinion. So an opinion is more dense, okay? An opinion is a belief that has been reinforced over time. More dense as in energetically it's more dense and it's just more t- difficult to change, okay? Beliefs are not as resistant to change, um, which is why, because they are temporary Right, which is why we can program and deprogram our beliefs through conditioning, through thought reform. Hint, hint. Um, and what beliefs are? Are they are guesses about the nature of reality, right? They they are what you can infer about reality based on your subjective experience of first and second order reality. And that's also why they're so easy to change, why beliefs are so easy to change, right? Because, you're, because your experience of reality is always changing. So your opinion is what you know about reality because you've reinforced it through a belief or a system of beliefs. And because they are more dense, because opinions have this like dense quality to them, they can be tested. They can be held up to scrutiny and evaluated against other opinions. Your truth is your experience of reality, your beliefs are your interpretations or inferences about reality, and your opinion is a conclusion or a theory that you land on based on your interpretations and experiences. So your beliefs are like theories about the world. And just like all theories, in order for it to be valid, they need to be falsifiable. Okay, this is where critical thinking and logic and science becomes very scientific. Because if your belief or sorry, if your opinion is not falsifiable, meaning you cannot disprove it, then it's not valid. Your opinion is not valid. And yes, you can absolutely have wrong opinions. Absolutely. Because if you can't... A, if it doesn't hold up to scrutiny against the other opinions and the other doctrines and the other theories and the frameworks, right? If it doesn't hold up to scrutiny, if it just falls apart when you critically examine it, then it's not valid. And the way that we can like buffer against that in you know if we're playing mental gymnastics is we we frame our opinion in a way that makes it not falsifiable so for example my opinion is that unicorns exist well I can't prove that I can't prove that unicorns exist right so it's not falsifiable so it's not valid because you can't prove it and like in in any scientific experiment if you can't prove something <laughs> you you can't if you can't measure it then it's not valid and, and when I say it's not valid I don't mean that you should like throw it in the trash I mean you should approach it with like a healthy level of skepticism and a dose of scrutiny right um you can still adopt it sure but you should also know that uh, you're going to get you're going to get challenged on it it's going to be critically examined and, and if you don't know how to like defend yourself other than just say well that's my truth and that's the way it is and I'm sorry that is triggering you then it's like okay well you're just living in a fucking fantasy delusion that is not dis- that is not connected that is not representative in any way, or shape, or form of like actual reality of the nature of reality, and we're constantly trying to understand the nature of reality. I mean, that's that's what science is, right? That's the science is is the is the um, most objective, like not science itself, but like the scientific process is the most is the closest that we can get to. Um, to 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 understanding the nature of reality, you know, because we cannot understand it through our biases. Science does the scientific method does a pretty good job, not perfect, right? It's absolutely not perfect, but it does a pretty damn good job, as good as it can be right now with the current level of technology that we have to capture something about the nature of reality, right? And then we share that in a public arena and we discuss it and we tear it apart and we, we stomp on it and then we res- resurrect it. I mean, it's changing and, and we, we, we have sort of this like collective struggle <laughs> towards understanding the nature of reality. Um, because then we can build... A world we can create systems that make sense we can create societies that make sense right the more we understand the nature of reality right so if we form going back to this idea of falsif- uh, falsifiability so so if we form our opinion around an unfalsifiable conclusion about reality such as my opinion is that unicorns exist because you can't prove it wrong, you're going to think you're always right because, you know, then, then, then there's this false unfalsifiability fallacy that happens when someone says, well, if I can't, if you can't, well, if I can't prove that unicorns exist and you can't prove that they don't exist, that means that there is a 50-50 chance that I'm right. That unicorns do exist. No, it does not work that way. That is a fallacy. There's a logical fallacy because it is impossible to prove the absence of something. You cannot prove that something doesn't exist. And people think that just because you can't prove the absence of something, so if they express an opinion and they, and they say that it's the, their truth and, and you can't quite prove them wrong, they think that because you can't prove them wrong, they have like an equal shot at being right about it. But no, actually it's because you can't prove it wrong. It's because it's not falsifiable that it's... Not valid. Not valid in a sense. Not Again, not valid does not mean it doesn't matter. It means that it's subjective. It means that the subjectivity of it is an illusion. And you cannot generalize it as a representation of the nature of reality. You see how when you start to poke holes in people's thinking, it just like falls apart. So that's kind of the framework that I have for understanding truth and beliefs and opinions. And what I want to conclude with here is the importance of reality testing. And reality testing is a, um, it's a cult deprogramming method that includes the, or rather entails the ability to critically examine your own thoughts, which is really, really hard if you've already been, like, quote unquote, you know, brainwashed, or there's been, like, some thought control and some thought reform happening, right? If your consciousness is hijacked, it's really hard to critically examine your 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 thinking your own thinking process but i mean that's where meditation comes in right and that's the practice of presence is to watch watch your thoughts and watch whether or not you're offering up a truth a belief or an opinion when you are having discussions with people in a public arena think about it right think about a think about so when you want a reality test, but right? then this is like, I'm not saying do this on the spot, but you know when you reflect and you're thinking or you watch your thoughts and meditation, A, um, you can think about how subjective is this? right? And, and number two, how falsifiable is it? Can, can somebody come and prove me wrong? about this opinion. Can they prove me wrong? Can it be measured in a way in a lab and can I be proven wrong about this? And if you're if you are if the answer is no, then it's likely that what you're expressing is a truth or a belief because truths and beliefs are not falsifiable, right? There's no way that somebody can can come in and disprove that you're experiencing reality the way that you're ex- that you say you're experiencing it. This is why it's such fucking bullshit. Excuse me, but it really p- pisses me off when when people like Phil Goodman say, or good or whatever say, um, what did he say that was just so like, oh, uh, he said something to the effect of. Basically, what I'm trying to say is he's making assumptions about how somebody experiences their reality. Oh, it's because you're not free. Oh, it's because you don't feel comfortable expressing your truth. It's like, what the fuck? Like, yes, I do. Like, what the, like, who are you to tell me what is happening with my own comfort levels? If I feel uncomfortable or uncomfortable. Like, that is such a large, like, leap and a large assumption that we make about people because we're just, like, we think we can, like... Assume how assume an unknowable arena. We don't know if someone is not expressing their truth because they don't feel free. Maybe that's that person is still like I don't know, feeling insecure, uh, or or maybe that person just doesn't feel like it. Maybe maybe in that moment it doesn't feel whatever it might be. Maybe the person is fucking hungry and tired and doesn't feel like I don't know. Whatever you know. My point is. You cannot make assumptions about other people in this like generalized way that oh if you get triggered that means that you're not free somewhere. It's like, well, first of all, how do you know that I'm triggered? Like that's a very specific trauma word just because I express concern or I I challenge you does not necessarily mean that I'm triggered. Like that's a very specific, that's an assumption that you're making about how somebody experiences their reality. right? And it's it's like it's problematic because it happens everywhere. Um, we're just making assumptions and, and we actually don't know. We actually don't know how someone is experiencing their reality. if they're triggered or if they're fucking just, I don't know, constipated. I don't know, you know? Like, they need to tell us, like, hey, I'm really triggered by this. Or, hey, I feel really uh, angry about this, right? Just because you're angry doesn't necessarily mean you're triggered either. That's just one expression. I mean, I just mean that it's... It doesn't make sense to just draw a, a blanket conclusion about someone's opinion um, especially if you can't even disprove it. Especially if it's something that occurs in a very un or sorry, their their um a truth or their beliefs, if it's occurring within such an unknowable territory, right? So, sorry, I just went on this rant there, that wasn't in my show notes. <laughs> so anyway, your beliefs are somewhat falsifiable. Okay, so someone can challenge you on your beliefs. Because, again, if, they're, if it's dogmatic or if it's flexible, right? But, you, but they can't necessarily... I don't think they can necessarily prove you wrong without suggesting that your experience of the world is somehow wrong, right? Because there's no wrong or right way to experience reality. You just experience it. And that's why I say beliefs are not wrong or right, right? They're either... Dogmatic or flexible. They're either biased or unbiased. So that's a that's a place that you know you can critically examine your beliefs, right? By asking how subjective is it? Is it falsifiable? Can someone prove me wrong? And then you can see, okay, it's biased, right? And it's okay. It's okay to have biased beliefs. We all have them. It's fine. Just know it, just be aware. Right? Be aware so that when somebody comes in and like challenges you, you're not like, oh my god, you're so fucking triggered right now. Right? You can have like a conversation, you can you can have some there is room for conversation and there's room for you for growth, right? Like how are you gonna grow if you think that someone who challenges you is triggered and not free and you're somehow better than them. Right, you're not gonna grow, thinking that you like know everything. So your opinions, your opinions, are at, so where where do we leave off at? Okay, so your truth. I like to like recap just so I'm not like going off the rails. So you, I was saying that your truth is um, not falsifiable which means that it's very, very subjective. Your beliefs are somewhat falsifiable, which means that they can be biased or unbiased. And your opinions are 100% falsifiable. They are like 110% falsifiable, right? So meaning someone can, they can prove you wrong with logic, with facts, with statistics, with evidence, quote unquote, right? Um, with science, <laughs> Um, so this is this is why there are good opinions and bad opinions, depending on how grounded those opinions are in, in, in logic and in reasoning and in, in reality. And again, this is so important for reality testing. Um, being able to challenge your thought patterns, being able to discern uh, your beliefs from biased and unbiased, from you know, il- this is, this is the, this is the practice of discerning ilu- illusion from reality, um, and, and this is what is and so important for not creating an echo chamber in your own head, right, because if you have an echo chamber in your head, then it's like you're, then it's, then it's, uh, it just gives someone an open door to sell you a belief, uh, sell a belief to you as some infallible truth that can never be proven wrong, Right, and then you easily adopt their truth as your truth, and it's never wrong. And this is what happens in cults. And a cult leader, um, Phil, Good, and Gabby Bernstein, uh, just gonna say their names. Because why not? I'm on my soapbox. So a cult leader will tell you that their truth is the ultimate truth. Or they will, even if they don't tell you that, like the way they phrase it, right? Here's the truth, right? Well, if you're going to say, here's the truth, like say something that's like actually, I don't know, eternal. I don't know. Anyway, uh, there's so many ways that you can play around with language that you can use language, that you can express yourself and communicate in a way that does not come off as, that does not create so much confusion and misunderstanding and then use that to make assumptions about other people and then just, like, cut off any chance of, like, discourse. It's like, okay, where are we going with that? So, um... What else do I want to say here yeah just be careful when people are presenting their truth as fact um, you know watch out because this person is probably trying to indoctrinate you knowingly or unknowingly um, so I have a couple of more suggestions for reality testing But I just want to give a quick recap of what we talked about. So uh, your truth, for your truth to be valid in the sense that it represents the nature of reality and it is knowable to someone outside of yourself, then it needs to be falsifiable. You need to be able to prove it right or wrong. If you can't prove it wrong, that doesn't mean that it's not valid, okay? It doesn't mean that you should just throw it in the trash and everything has to be like go through some fucking experiment science lab. That's not what I mean. I, what what I'm trying to come what I'm trying to point to is the importance of understanding subjectivity. Because if it's not, um, because if 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 it's a subjective truth, right, it's just not a reliable way of reality testing. Because you're just lost in your own like echo chamber. How are you going to reality test? If you're like, you're just having this subjective experience of reality, right? And, and it just leaves you in this biased place of thinking you're always right. And, and you're just just can't examine your thought patterns. Um, And what, I mean, you're going to stay emotionally and spiritually stagnant and not to mention you might mislead others uh, because you're so convinced that your truth is the truth. So a couple of more reality testing exercises I can give you is to get into the habit of asking what am I missing? What don't I know, right? And this kind of goes hand in hand with could I be wrong? Is it falsifiable? So what am I missing is a really good one that I like to ask myself like what what don't I know? And it's not something that is just gonna like come to you like immediately that the point is not to actually arrive at an answer you may or you may not but just asking it just asking it it invites the process of reality testing that's all you have to do is just ask and just be there that's it you don't have to do anything special you don't have to you know change your life or your practice or whatever it or or your opinion even like it doesn't even have to happen like immediately or overnight or whatever it just it's just asking it's just a question what am i missing what don't i know another thing i think is super important is to listen to other perspectives right i think it was steve Stephen hassan the cult expert that says that the the best way out of i'm paraphrasing but he says the best way out of echo chambers is through perspective and remembering that yes indeed other people's truths are just as valid and they can coexist phil other people's truth can definitely coexist however you need to discern first order truth from second order truth you need to discern between truth versus opinion versus belief right there's a lot that goes on there that gets missed so that's all that i have for you today and of course that was a lot um so thanks so much for listening and i hope that this was useful for you of course you know we can hear it and we can sort of conceptualize it but it really needs to be practiced and um i i support you through this practice um, in my in my content that I create on social media, in my stories, I, I'm always bringing up examples and so I'll start to use some of these terms more about first order reality and second order reality and um, uh, the paradox of truth and reality testing, and all of that. So I'll bring that, I'll introduce those concepts more and more as we start to really like practice it Right and um, yeah, like I said in my stories and also in my newsletter. So if you're not signed up for my newsletter and you enjoy my teachings, I highly recommend it. Um, I send a newsletter once a week, and this is where I kind of take a deeper dive into some of the concepts that we talk about. Um, and I really, um, I, I just, I, I dip, I, 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 um, I get more specific about things, right? I break things down more. So if you enjoy this and you're not subscribed to my newsletter please do so otherwise thank you so much for hanging out thanks for listening thanks for um, being a part of this experience where we're just learning and and growing together and um, coming up with solutions for how we can really um, you know live live authentically which to me means you know preserve our individuality when we're constantly being bombarded with so many mixed messages and so much ambiguity right and how to develop literacy media literacy and critical thinking and also you know have a foundation that is so um uh, uh, ingrained, you know, in into existence itself, which is where non-dualism comes in. You know, all of that, right? So many layers, and it's it's a it's a it's a beautiful process. I I hope that you're passionate about it. I certainly am. And as always, I'm super grateful for you and for your presence. I honor you, I honor your learning and your growth and your journey and with that said, I will talk to you soon. Bye.